Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Jay. Uh, I'm the director of worship, and we're, we're really glad that you've joined us here at City Church. And if you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you did that as well. Uh, we're going to begin our service with a call to worship from Psalm 145. Uh, it's the first nine verses. Um, if you want to stand, uh, I would love that if you'd stand with us. Uh, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Typically, what, what happens is I, I, I read a call to worship, a passage from God's word that gives us kind of a prompt for what we're doing this morning, that we're worshiping God, gives us a response, uh, a way to respond. We listen to God first, right, in a call to worship. But often I'll pray after that call to worship before we sing, and that is what I like to call or what we call a, a prayer of invocation. It's asking God, would your presence be here among us? Would you help us in what we're about to do? And this morning I'm going to do something a little bit different where we're going to do that together. There's a kind of a, a call and response prayer. So I'll read a section. Y'all read a section with me. And we're going to pray together uh, in that way this morning. So first, though, I'm going to read Psalm 145. First nine verses say this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray together. I'll begin. O God, most powerful and wise, Many of us walk into this room this morning lonely, discouraged, and weary. We come longing to be with you, to be encouraged by your promises, to be strengthened by your truth. Would you, in all your greatness, reveal yourself to us this morning? Grant that we would see your great works as we recount your steadfast love and mercy through song and scripture. Confess our sinfulness and worship you for your grace to us found in Jesus. God, help us sing to you. Lord, I, I don't want to be up here just to play music, but want your church to sing to you. Would you enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to join our voices as one chorus, one people, one family, united in Christ. Wake those who are sleepy up 
Stoke a fire in our hearts that we would respond passionately and emotionally to you as you've revealed in your word in, in each of our lives. Lord, we know for us to truly worship you. We need your help. So would you meet us here and do a mighty work in our midst this morning. We pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Let's sing.
You want to know something? It's great to see you. It really is. I love all of you. Uh, my name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. And part of what that means is that we're a family with open doors, and we want to be family to you. If you are new here in Gainesville, if you're new in the life of our church, welcome in particular to you. We would love to pray for you this week. Uh, when you walk in the doors on Sunday mornings, you get this bulletin, and in that bulletin, there's a connection card. Please consider filling that out with your prayer request. You can put your name on it. You can make it anonymous. If you put it in the seat pocket in front of you, we pick these up after the service, and we pray for you during the week. That card's an excellent tool as well to let us know about your interests in the life of our church, questions that you have for our staff. We're very responsive. Usually we'll get back to you in a couple of days. There's also a virtual version. If you go to citychurchgmv.com connection, you'll find the exact same card. You can fill it out on your phone, so that's available to you as well. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as a people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgmv.com slash give. There's also a brown box in the back of the sanctuary with envelopes and pens that's available at all times. I want to say a huge thank you. So our worship team uh, rehearsed many times so that on Friday night, they could bring to you an entire evening of worship. Um, So thank you. A lot of the people that are playing up here played on Friday night as well. It was a wonderful time. Um, we will do that again if you've never been to a, an evening of worship. I would, I would encourage you and even challenge you to do that. If like, oh, that's outside of my comfort zone. I've never been uh, someone who would sing songs for a couple hours. Do it next time and see what the Lord will do. So thank you to Jay and many other people for making that possible. A few things that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, first, in the area of kind of adult education, and then secondly, uh, in the area of community engagement. Um, our classes that we are offering... This semester continued tomorrow and Tuesday. So tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, Joshua study uh, for women on Zoom. And then that same study meets here in the City Church Sanctuary on Tuesday mornings uh, at 9.30. Child care is provided at that. If you're interested, if you haven't been before, you can jump in, put something on your connection card, let us know about it. Also, our class that is called A Biblical Theology of Marriage continues uh, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here and that will be session six, so it's an eight-week class. We're on number six. You can still jump in, no problem, to this. So seven o'clock, if you're like, hey, I want to see what's going on here, seven o'clock tomorrow night. Also, all of these sessions are being recorded. You can listen back to them if you want to catch up. If you, We have this internet at City Church, this kind of uh, in-house bulletin board, electronic bulletin board. We put announcements and all kinds of resources. After the service, there'll be some folks at our hospitality table. They can help you get on there if you want to access things like that. Those kinds of materials. All right, community engagement. Um, two important things. Number one, after today's service, our homeless ministry outreach team is going to be going out and around downtown Gainesville to continue the work that they are doing. They're meeting at 1 o'clock, so number one, be praying for them. Number two, if you're just now hearing about this and say, you know what, I am interested uh, in something like this. My, my heart is drawn to that kind of ministry. Um, at 12.40, you can come early to the community room. So, you, you know, you go have your brunch, whatever you're going to do, and then you come back at 1240, and then there will be people from that team that can help kind of train you, understand what we're doing, and you could potentially even go out with this team at 1 o'clock today. So you could come 1240 to the community room behind the lobby. If not, pray for these folks that are going to be going out. It's a relatively new ministry that was launched over the summer, um, and God is at work, and it's growing and building, and we're building more and more relationships. And it's very encouraging. 
We are also getting very close to launching um, our training for the mentorships that we do at Aquin Jones, which is a school a mile up the road from here. We uh, do weekly mentorships with various kids. They're, it's a middle school and a high school. If you want to learn more, there's a meeting after the second service next Sunday. Okay, so this Sunday, homeless outreach teams going out at one o'clock, twelve forty. If you want training next Sunday after the second service, there's an info meeting for people that want to learn more about what would it look like for me to mentor a student at Aquin Jones weekly, uh, and we'll give you all the information you need to know, tell you how the training works, and that'll be next Sunday. And I hope that we see you there. We have the privilege uh, this morning of spotlighting and hearing from someone from our hospitality team. I want to say, before she comes up, I want to say a couple things about hospitality. Um, uh, one of the core values here at City Church is showing hospitality. One way to think of uh, the grace of God is, is, the, is the welcome of God. So we try to show that welcome and be that welcome on Sunday mornings and then during the week when our community groups meet and so on and so forth. Uh, so we're not just trying to make people feel good. We're actually, theologically speaking, expressing God's gracious welcome to us, to other people. And for example, that means informally on Sunday mornings when you come. It's not just about seeing your friends uh, and being comfortable. It's actually uh, about extending yourself individually, meeting people that you haven't met, and seeing this space on Sundays as a, as a place to actually serve other people in very profound ways. There are also formal opportunities to help with hospitality. And that's why we have a hospitality team. The reason I mentioned the informal ways is because the hospitality team doesn't replace the informal ways. They just help with that. So Marley is going to tell you about formal opportunities to come um, serve. Yep, let's welcome Marley. Marley is the team leader for the hospitality team, took over this role a few months ago, is doing an outstanding job. She's going to tell you more about this team, how you can be involved. And then Ryan's going to come up and, and preach the word. So really great plan. Thanks, Chipper. Thanks, guys. It's so good to worship with you today. I'm so thankful to meet you. If I haven't met you before, you're probably hiding from me. Um, but again, my name is Marley, and I have the privilege of leading a really incredible team of people with the hospitality ministry. Um, so if you are new here, you are likely greeted by someone. If you are not new here, hopefully you were also greeted by someone when you came in with a bulletin and a smile. So those people are going to be our greeters and meters. Um, but some of the unknown little behind-the-scenes elf work of hospitality is setting up and tearing down before and after service. So all of the coffee and snacks and um, other things, communion has to be set up by hospitality. So that's some of our job is like making sure that all of the logistics flow smoothly for Sunday morning so that everyone can have a really exciting and worshipful experience on a Sunday morning. So uh, we have a team of people that rotate every Sunday. Um, so you can serve as much or as little as you want. It's a really great opportunity to be part of. Um, I, for one, joined hospitality because I, so I moved eight times before I was 16 and I went to a lot of churches, y'all. And I have never been greeted as warmly or welcomed as, as kindly as I was when I came to City Church. So um, part of giving back to me meant helping to create that culture and hoping to engage people in that way. Um, so if that's you uh, and you would like to be part of creating the culture of City Church and, and helping to engage in hospitality, please reach out. We would love to have you. Um, if you haven't been met by that, please let me know. Um, I would love to, to talk with you about that. 
Um, so if you guys are interested in hospitality, I would really encourage you to be part of it. I do want to say all of, our all of our ministry teams need members, so if this isn't where you feel led, let's connect you with another ministry. But I would really love to see you on hospitality, um, so come up and talk to me. I want to have a conversation with you and a dialogue about that. So. I just want to share the verse that um, really spoke to me about hospitality when we were coming back inside and when I was taking over back um, in summer. It's Romans 15, 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I see all of that in you regardless of whether you're a hospitality team member or not. I'm really thankful to worship with you and glad you're here. Bye-bye. Charlie, and yes, she's been doing a fantastic job. Thank you for uh, taking over the team. I, I got the privilege of being the interim hospitality team leader for what was supposed to be like a few months and turned into a few years. And so when Marley said yes to taking the hospitality role, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Um, yeah, but it's a, it's a wonderful ministry. I do encourage you to consider that or some other ways to get plugged in. Um, I am Ryan, one of the pastors here. It is great to get to worship with you this morning and uh, to get to open God's Word and, uh, and share this message. So we have been going through 2 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 3 this morning. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open up, follow along with us, or you can follow along on the screen. I don't know about you guys, but when I walked outside this morning and that cool, brisk air hit me, I was just like, yes. It's here, finally. Summer's finally over in the middle of October. I, I hope so. I haven't checked the extended forecast, but I'm just going to believe that it's over now. <clears throat> okay, so 2 Corinthians uh, 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, would you 
work in power this morning through your word, through your spirit, to open our eyes and our hearts to see your glory, to behold you, to be set free, and to delight in you. Lord, give us faith where we are struggling. Give us encouragement. Lord, give us peace. Bring joy that comes only by your presence. And may you be glorified. May the name of Jesus be lifted high. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, freedom is an amazing thing, right? We see it, the, the yearn for it from a young age. We see it come out in uh, children's desire to do things by self, by self, uh, to have independence even before they're even necessarily ready to have that independence. Uh, we ache for this as we get older, whether it's you know staying out past curfew or going, for, going on a date or getting a driver's license or something like that. We cannot wait to grow up, grow up and have autonomy and enjoy all the privileges that come with that. I remember when I first got my driver's license and my mom was like, oh, we're out of milk. It's like, wait, do you need milk? Okay, I'll happily get in the car and go to the grocery store and get milk. Just the, the thrill of that like freedom to get to go out of the house any moment that I wanted was amazing. My eldest daughter is here, so I have to be careful what I say. Uh, uh, as, we, as we actually get older, we come to have a deeper appreciation for the real freedoms that we are blessed with in this country, the things that our ancestors, of course, fought and died for and that we enjoy. There's nothing like the events of this last couple of years to make us appreciate small things, freedoms that we perhaps overlooked and took for granted, you know, like going to the grocery store and buying groceries without fear of imminent death from the cereal box that you just happened to touch. It's the little things in life, you know. As we see in this passage, the Bible talks about a freedom that is unlike any other. It's a freedom that comes from, with, and in God himself. And that freedom, as we will see, is the greatest need of every human heart. This morning, we get to delve into this magnificent gift of freedom that God offers to us, this gift that he extends to us. And we see that there are two forms of freedom that God wants to bring into our lives, the freedom of salvation and the freedom of transformation. So we'll start with the first one there, the freedom of salvation. As we start uh, in this passage, it's kind of midway through a point that Paul is making in this chapter and so we do have to do a little bit of a quick review to get caught up on where he's at in this conversation. So in chapter 3, chapter 3 began with kind of one of the major themes that Paul has been working through this book, which is the defense of his ministry. And as we've heard throughout this series, Paul is in this tug of war with some factions in Corinth that are challenging his leadership. These other influencers are They've been parading their credentials, their dynamism, their rhetorical skills, and they've been deliberately trying to undermine Paul's authority. So how was Paul supposed to respond to this? Well, he told them to take a look back at their lives. The very fact that they are followers of Jesus is because of his investment in them. He was the one who traveled to Corinth. He was the one who 
planted that church. He was the one who proclaimed the gospel to them so that they came to believe in Jesus. They themselves are the evidence of his ministry effectiveness. He doesn't need a CV. He doesn't need a letter of rec. The work of God that came about from his ministry of the gospel is the proof of his legitimacy. And so from there, where we pick up today, he dives into why this ministry has been so effective. And he does this by teaching them how the new covenant is not only gloriously different, but life-changing. The new covenant is gloriously different. And he, he does this by, he emphasizes this by kind of holding up the old covenant and the new covenant and contrasting them one with the other. So he talks about the old covenant showing that it was this external moral standard. You know, it was carved on stone tablets. It revealed laws that the people were to obey. The old covenant revealed sin. It was the ministry of condemnation, as he calls it, meaning that it showed our transgressions, our deserved condemnation, and our spiritual death. And this old covenant was temporary. It was temporary. Even from the time of the prophets, there was this, this hope of a Messiah who would come one day and bring about a new covenant. So that's the old covenant. And then he holds up the new covenant and its contrast. He says the new covenant is not given as an external standard, but rather it's an internal spiritual work. It is etched not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts by God's spirit. It does not bring condemnation, but instead it brings righteousness, a right standing with God that we receive from Christ through faith. From the, we receive the forgiveness of our sins that is offered through the sacrifice of Jesus' life. And we see that the new covenant has permanently and fundamentally altered the way that we can relate to God. As one commentator says, as the light of a lantern shines at night, but at noonday is overpowered by the sun, so is the glory of Moses overshadowed by the glory of Christ. The new covenant is gloriously different, and it far surpasses the old. You know, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you get your first car. You get this kind of old beat-up car, maybe it's your dad's old car, it's like 15 years old. The AC doesn't work unless you like hold the button down, you know, while you're driving. The seats are all split apart, they scratch up your legs when you get in. You got water coming in from the windows or the sunroof or something. The engine starts to smoke if you go over 50. But that baby is yours, right? It is yours and you are proud of it. And you're out there on Saturday mornings, you're washing and waxing that, trying to buff out all the scratches. Of course, but later on, then you, you upgrade to a more reliable vehicle that's not breaking down on you every month or something like that. And you come to discover the glory and the beauty of a car that actually works and functions like it's supposed to. Paul's point is this. The first covenant was glorious, but how much more glorious is the new covenant. The new covenant is also life-changing. Paul alludes to this with this example of the life of Moses. And he, he's referencing here the story that we see in Exodus 
32 through 34, where Moses, as you recall, was going up Mount Sinai to, to meet with God and to receive the commandments, to receive the instructions and the laws for this covenant. And during his time on the mountain, he requested to behold God's glory. And God said that you can't see the fullness of my glory. No one can see that and live in this condition. But he would allow Moses to see part of his glory. And so he did. And then after receiving this, this law, he came down the mountain. You guys remember what happened, of course. Aaron and all the other leaders were kind of wide-eyed. They're like, what is going on with Moses? His skin was shining. His face was luminous. He was radiant with the glory of God that was reflecting off of him, so much so that the, the, even the leaders around him were, were frightened. And so Moses met with him for a while, and then he put a veil over his face so as not to startle everyone. And this seemed to have been a, a, a repeated thing. He would go up and meet with the Lord. He would come back. He would put the veil over his face. Little, of course, did Moses know how relevant his face covering would be to us here in 2021. But the, the reason, thanks, the reason, <clears throat> that it was deserving of like a mild chuckle. That's really all that that joke deserved. Uh, the reason that Paul uh, brings this event up is this. It serves as a spiritual check for the Israelites. The fact that the Israelites winced at the glory of God reflecting off of Moses exposed something in their hearts. It revealed the sinful condition of their hearts, their resistance to the things of God. And so while Moses putting on this veil was an act of grace and mercy, the fact that the glory of God would be in their midst in a way that they could handle it, uh, that, that, was, that was a gift from the Lord. It was also a judgment on them, really. It was a physical reminder and representation of their need to have a barrier between them and God because of what was going on in their hearts. And he says that the same sinful resistance was still happening in Paul's day. He says, for to this day, when, the, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Yet, and he says again, yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. The veil remains, but now it's, it's over their hearts so that whenever the scriptures are read, whenever the Old Covenant is read, whenever Moses is read again, they aren't able to hear. The veil is a symbol of the rebellious and shame-filled condition of the human heart. And can we not also relate to this, right? To this pulling away from the glory of God when we are laden with guilt and shame in our hearts. Are we not also guilty of this same unbelief, the same disobedience, the same hiding, turning away from God? It's not merely the Israelites who were afflicted with a veil over their hearts. It's all of us. We all need to be set free, to have our eyes opened to see the Lord. And this is where the life-changing hope of the new covenant arises. Sandwiched right in between these verses about the veil being over their hearts, Paul says this, because only in Christ is the veil taken away. 
It's only through Jesus that the veil is lifted. Through his birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. It is only that that alone is sufficient to not only atone for the penalty of our sin, but to penetrate our hard-heartedness and beckon us to come to him. And then he says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And that is the invitation that our Lord extends to us, to turn to him and be free. In the new covenant, Jesus takes people who are spiritually blind and he gives them sight. Jesus takes people who are hardened and he makes them tender. Jesus takes people who are broken and he makes them whole. Jesus takes people who are angry and he gives them peace. Jesus takes people who are dead and he gives them life. And all he asks of you is this, turn to me. Turn to me. Look at me. These scars in my hands are for you. These nail holes are for you. This wound in my side is for you. This blood was shed for you to be free. The reason that we keep our eyes off of God are innumerable. There is evil and injustice in this world that is unspeakable. And maybe you've experienced that personally. Maybe you feel angry or abandoned, and you think, I can't look at God. There are pleasures in this world that seem to satisfy every whim and desire, and maybe you've chased after those, and you feel guilty and ashamed, and you think, I, I can't look at God. There are stressors and worries in this world that just wrap us up in knots. And maybe you're tangled up in that web of anxiety and you feel afraid and you think, I, I can't look at God. But when you turn to Jesus, you don't see anger. You don't see guilt. You don't see shame. You don't see fear. When you turn to Jesus, you see his love, grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, joy, and life. Like a child, you know, we have these playgrounds here that love to have kind of death-defying heights, uh, a boulder that's like 10 feet tall or something for four-year-old children to climb up. And so it's not uncommon, I guess, for parents to, for kids to ascend this, this hill to the Lord, right? And they get up there. Going up is easy. It's then when you turn around and look down that you're stricken with, they are stricken with terror, right? And so what do parents do? They climb up to the top of the boulder and they say, give me your hand. Here, turn, look Look to me. All you want to do is cling on to this rock and you know, lay prone or something like that because you can't fall off that way. You say, turn, turn to me. Look, come to me here, and I will help you. And you lead your child down to safety. 
so too does God beckon us to turn to him. There are some of us in this room this morning that need to know that Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to set you free. And I'm not talking about a year from now or 10 years from now or when you're close to the grave. I'm talking about today. He wants you to be free. You have been hanging on and holding out. You've been feeling God calling to you and calling, calling you to come to him, and you've been fighting against it. Would you turn to him? Would you come to him? There are others here this morning who have lost hope. You know, we've watched as our country has shifted further and further away from God, it seems. How many of us have gotten dejected coming to doubt the ability of the gospel to change people's lives? Well, it changed your life, didn't it? The power of the gospel remains to this day, no matter how the winds of our culture change. Our confidence is not in popularity, it's not in political power or prowess. Our hope is in the power of God by the Spirit to set people free. And that same power that rose Jesus from the dead and that turned back his cowardly disciples, that completely altered Paul's life, and that has changed billions upon billions of lives is still at work today in this country. And we still serve the same living God. We proclaim the same gospel. We are empowered by the same Holy Spirit. And so we, like Paul, can say, because we have such a hope, we are very bold. If you want boldness for Christ in your life, it starts here by turning to him again, by believing again that he has the power and the desire to bring freedom to those around you, and he wants to use you to do that, just like he did Paul. So that's the first form of freedom that God wants to bring in our lives. We see the second here, the freedom of transformation. God not only wants to bring a freedom of salvation, he wants to bring a freedom of transformation in your life. If you have turned to Jesus, he's removed this veil. He has given us a freedom from condemnation, a freedom from guilt, a freedom from shame, a freedom from spiritual blindness. And Paul writes here, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. When I, to when I told Katie I was preaching on this verse, she's like, oh, I've heard a lot of sermons on this. <laughs> it's just a verse that kind of preaches, you know? Preachers like it, so... Uh, of course, this verse can be a little bit confusing. What does he mean the Lord is the Spirit? Well, we know it, what it can't mean. He doesn't mean that, the, that Jesus is also the Holy Spirit. That would not fit a Trinitarian framework, which Paul most definitely is. And so it seems like most likely what he means here is that he, he's drawing a parallel. So just like how Moses would remove the veil when he met, went and met with the Lord, so too... Now we have the freedom of the veil being removed when we turn to Christ. And so while it was Yahweh that brought this freedom under the old covenant, it is now Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that brings this freedom in the new covenant. And because he has removed that veil, we now get to behold the glory of God without any barrier, without any restriction. We get to see God. But how? 
What does it look like practically? It, you know, it's not like we are physically able to view God right now. What does this look like? Well, I like to think about it like this. You know, before smartphones, before Zoom, before Skype, before cell phones, before the internet, the way that people corresponded long distance, I have been told, was through writing letters to each other. And my grandparents actually met this way. This is an interesting little story. They were introduced by their siblings. And it can sound odd. It's not incest. <laughs> my grandmother's brother married my grandfather's sister, okay? And then they introduced brother and sister to each other. They said, you know, I think they'll really, I think they would really hit it off. Uh, the only problem is my grandfather was stationed in Alaska. This was in the early 1950s. And my grandmother lived in Florida. So this was, you know, and I don't know what long distance calls cost. It was more than they could afford, though. So they corresponded by letter. They wrote letters to each other back and forth for two years before they ever met in person. And after his service was finished, you know, he moved back. They met, fell in love, and the rest is history. But think about it. For two years, the only knowledge that they had about one another, aside from the stories they heard from siblings, was what they shared by letter. But in these letters, they learned a lot about each other. You could start to learn your personality, learn their, their sense of humor, their interests, their passions, their values, you know, their goals in life, their dreams, all of these sorts of things. You start to kind of see a person even though you've never seen them. And the same is true of us with God. Though we do not presently literally see his face, we can see him, as it were, through his word, through the spirit, through the revelation that came by Christ incarnate. We see what God is like. We see his character, his values, his personality, and so on. We see his glory. And we can do so by faith because Christ has removed the spiritual obstructions. And this is the key. It is in this beholding that God brings about greater and greater freedom in your life. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we fix our gaze on God, delighting in him, understanding him, knowing him, trusting him more and more, as we do that, God transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus in increasing degrees of glory. As we love and trust Jesus more, God by his spirit progressively changes us to look more like Jesus and in so doing to reflect his glory to the world like Moses did on Sinai. The closer that we get to Jesus, the more his heart becomes ours. The more of his glory we behold, the more of his glory we reflect. We delight more in his will. We embody more of his character. We love others lavishly and sacrificially. We impart 
grace more freely and frequently. We express forgiveness more quickly and mercifully. We give of our money and our time more generously. We, we serve the needs of others more compassionately. But the reflection, it's not simply like it's a mirror, you know? The transformation that God wants to bring about in your life is deeper than that. It's more profound than that. It's really unimaginable what he wants to do. He wants to change you through and through, body, mind, soul, and strength. His aim is a complete radical transformation of your, your very self. He wants to take you from being a person of insecurity and fear and anger and pride and greed and selfishness in every form of idolatry and gradually, slowly, sometimes painfully transform you into a man or a woman that looks like Jesus, full of grace, truth, love, kindness, righteousness, peace, and joy. He wants to display the radiance of his glory through you like a lump of coal that's been turned into a diamond and set beneath a light. Every facet that he polishes and refines and perfects in you becomes another angle by which the brilliance of his glory is shown to the world. From one degree of glory to another, he wants to make you look like Jesus and then live with boldness for his name in a world that desperately needs to see Jesus. And that can sound well and good, but it can also sound really abstract, right? How, what does this look like? How is this happening? And so I want to share a story for you that is uh, candid, quite vulnerable, and I don't quite know how to share this, but I'm going to try, because uh, I think it'll be an encouragement for you. I hope it'll be an encouragement for you, and I hope it's received in the spirit in which it's intended. It was a little over 10 years ago that my mom began sharing with me visions that she had. She had been having them for years, uh, but she had only just told me. She hadn't really told anyone. I don't think I've really told that many people before now. Um, she would have dreams of our old church. At night, she would have a dream that she came in the church. And she, as she would walk through the church, she would see people that she knew. And some of them had light in their face. And some didn't. And some had creatures that were with them. And then she shared that this wasn't only happening while she was sleeping. Sometimes this would happen while she was awake. Not all the time, but occasionally she would come into a room and she would see certain people's faces were shining. It was like this light that was coming out of them. And so she asked me what I made of this. And I told her, you know, well, what comes to mind for me from the Bible is Moses. So when he would meet with God, this light 
would reflect off of his face. And uh, so we had numerous conversations about this. And while trying to think through this, I asked, have you ever seen that in me? And she recalled an instance from a couple of years prior to that. It was my spring semester of my senior year of college that I came home from a visit. And she said, I walked in the door and this light was like all over me. And that was then the first time that I shared with her what had happened to me that year in college. My, the, the fall of my senior year, I went through a tremendously painful, deep period of depression. It was a few months, several months. It felt like a fog. It felt like I was unable to get out of it. Uh, there's this hopelessness, this confusion, this despair, this lack of motivation, feeling of aloneness, even though I had great friends. It's just, just you feel isolated and separated and disoriented. Uh, and I wrestled with all kinds of spiritual questions, especially why God felt so absent to me. But after months of that struggle, about the beginning of the spring, God gave me some relief. But not only that, he brought me through it to perhaps one of the sweetest, deepest, most intimate times of spiritual growth and connection with him that I've ever had in my life. I don't know that it's ever been that close before uh, or since. It was like time with God came to feel saturated with his spirit as if it was almost palpable. When I would pray, it was, it was rich, it was deep. The uh, worship would just make my soul soar. Scripture came alive, I hungered for it. And it was all this contrast this vivid contrast from the depths of despair that I had been in just a few months prior. The Lord brought me through tremendous pain out of sorrow and into a place of joy. He started to replace anger with peace. He started to replace confusion with assurance. A sense of his absence with this overwhelming sense of his presence. By God's grace, that was the exact same time that my mom saw that, even though she had no idea what was going on in my life. And I share that with you because I want you to know that even in times that feel the darkest, like God is distant, like you should give up hope, God is working in and through you in unbelievable, unimaginably profound ways. He is working to form you and to transform you, to make you more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And he does that through good times also. But in, in the difficult and painful seasons, it can feel, he can feel removed. But that's not the case. He's working for your good, for his glory. And he's not, only he's not only with you in your pain, even though you may not sense that, he is transforming you more and more into the likeness of Jesus in ways that you have no idea about right now.
And what he calls to us, what he calls us to do, is the same thing that we heard earlier, to turn to him, to cling to him, to gaze on him, to trust in him, to worship him, to take comfort in knowing that he is with you and he is forming you into something that will reflect him in this world. And now we, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into this image from one degree of glory to the next. That's why Paul has such hope, as we see later in this book, that these light and momentary afflictions cannot be compared to the glory of what God is bringing about. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Will you receive that freedom today? You turn to him. Trust him. Set your eyes on him. In Jesus' name. Amen. We turn now to communion. We practice this uh, each week as a way to tangibly remember Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us, his sacrifice for us, for our forgiveness. The foundation of the new covenant, what makes this, our relationship with God possible now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Later on during the meal, he took the cup and pouring it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul says that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death. So we remember Christ's body broken, his blood shed for us, and we trust in him. We fix our eyes on him, and we look ahead to the day when we'll be with him, when all sin and shame will be burned away, when all the pain will be gone and we'll be with him perfected in glory. Look ahead, look, look ahead with joy to that day. A few words of instruction before we come to the table. <clears throat> we'll have a few minutes of silence to reflect. We encourage you to use this time to, to pray, to set your heart on the Lord. And then after that, the band will come up, we'll have some music, and there'll be a station here, here, where an elder or deacon will distribute the elements. Uh, if you'd like to come and receive that, you can come forward at any time and receive. We'll have little prepackaged kits, and we'll just drop those in your hand. Or if you're more comfortable, um, there are also kits available back on the welcome table back there. Uh, if you are here and you don't profess to follow Christ, we're just thrilled that you are here and you're considering these things. I encourage you to use this time to reflect on if you would like to trust in Jesus, if you would believe this. And if that's something you would like to talk about, I would love to talk with you. Come and, come and grab me uh, after the service, and we'll chat about that. If you'd like prayer, the deacon and elder who will serve communion will be available in the lobby uh, during the last song. So just slip out back there, and they'd be glad to pray for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for 
Thank you for this gift of your word, for the, the promise that you give us, the invitation that you give us to set us free, the freedom of salvation, the freedom of transformation that comes by your spirit. Lord, would you, would you bring that about in us? Lord, where we are in bondage, where we're blind, where we're hardened right now, would you open our eyes to see you? Would, you? would we turn and fix our eyes on you? Lord, where you are desirous of making us more into the image of Christ, help us to see that. Help us, Lord, to turn from whatever we are fixing our eyes on, whatever we're trusting in, whatever we're filling our mind with and filling our hearts with that's other than you, and to realize that we get to behold you in all your glory and that you work in power through good and through, through, through difficult circumstances to make us more like Jesus. Renew our faith and our hope this morning as we come to the table. We pray in Christ's name. Trust in your promise.
wonderful worshiping with you this morning. Hear this benediction, then we're going to sing the doxology together. This is from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Turning ashes into blue. 
turning songs of sorrow into songs of joy again. You're revealing your endless glory, leading us in the way of mercy, taking broken lives and Turning songs of sorrow into songs of joy.